The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Welcome to the program, everybody. You're watching Squawkbox. Let's get into your headlines this hour. Asian stocks surging as Chinese factory activity comes in hot, with official PMI rising at its fastest pace in more than a decade. Meanwhile, Wall Street closes out a weak February, posting a second negative month in three, while the 10-year Treasury yield briefly hits its highest level since November as concerns over a higher for longer rate environment linger. Goldman Sachs is investor day failing to woo shareholders as the CEO David Solomon raises the prospect of selling parts of its consumer banking unit, admitting to CNBC that mistakes were made. It's absolutely fair that our execution around the consumer platforms hasn't been to the standard we'd like it to be. There's still opportunity for us. We have some interesting platforms where we've built good technology and have good partners, and we're working to improve the performance of those platforms. Uh, Santander unveiling plans to return half of its uh, profits to shareholders and targeting a road return on tangible equity of up to 17% part of its new three-year strategy. The executive chair, Anna Bottin, telling CNBC the bank is benefiting from higher rates after posting a record four-year profit. It's actually a very difficult scenario in which we delivered all our targets. So I think what's important going forward is that uh, some slight inflation is actually not such a bad thing for the financial sector and it's actually much healthier for the economy. The telecoms industry reinforces its role in the AI race with plenty of technologies on show here at Mobile World Congress. The Cisco CEO Chuck Robbins tells me opportunities in this space are endless. If you think about the speed at which they need to process this information, there are huge opportunities for us in next generation networking to actually underpin those AI networks and we're working with several of them right now on those discussions. everybody uh, to the program this is squat box thank you for joining us steve and i sat in the oh, studio you just went through the motions there didn't you watch it jeff watch it watch it how's How it going you? Uh, very, very good again you know another day of confusion so here we are yes, i love mixed confusion data, mixed data should we talk briefly about well, that no, i, I, go I like wall, your you? now what was it your second headline yes and that's what really got me you get me in your headlines you really do right. craft them beautifully but yeah, they're written for you better than war and peace no, not better than War and Peace, um, but pretty good. Oh. Uh, highest level since November, November yes. you mentioned, in your 10-year yes. treasuries, as concerns over a higher for longer rate environment linger. Yes. Let's get this right, ladies and gentlemen. Concerns for a higher for longer rate environment. You mean people are worried that the economy is doing better than they expected? People, people are, are worried <clears throat> that actually the data remains robust and that we might not go into some form of recession and we might actually uh, have only brief dips in growth and we might have a consumer which weathers the storm of higher rates and actually carries on with greater economic activity as shown by the pending home sales at the start of this week as well. So just let me get this right. The market in its churlishness is worried about its discounted cash flow on some of the companies it's bought which actually don't have good business cases for higher rates environment. Uh, yes. Yes, um, but, but, you know, let's step back from the tongue in the cheek. 
No, the, let's I mean, the keep point the is tongue in the the equity, the equity markets, right, are, are forward-looking discounted cash flow mechanism, right? Right, for so, business so, models. So the market, looking at business models. Yeah, yeah, so the market now is looking at ultimately where are we going to be in 18 months' time, yeah. not where we are now. Yeah, what, and you mean we, we might not be in the depths of a recession? Wow, well, we might have had a China, where, and we'll come yes, to this in a moment, which has yes. had, which is just been upgraded on growth to five percent. Which let's remind people, yeah. was the great growth driver this century before it had its downturn. For most of this century, it was growing at ten percent plus, and yes. actually was a great driver for all growth, for all U.S. companies, for all European companies, for Middle Eastern companies as well. So, yes. so China's growing better potentially. Mm. Manufacturing is better than expected as well. Mm. So it may skirt some of the worst problems that we thought it would do as it emerges from COVID. Uh, and the oil price is behaving beautifully at around about 84, 85 bucks a barrel at the moment as well. And hasn't mm. gone up to 110, 120 mm. as well. So some of the inflationary concerns there haven't happened as well. Supply chain bottlenecks have been pushed mm. out of the system. Uh, mm. Baltic dry rates are down. So people importing and exporting goods around the world. It's better. So, so the markets, just let me get this right. The market's upset that actually things are better and may not become such a long-term systemic problem. Well, since you put it like that, there's nothing to worry about. Well, there's plenty to we, worry we about. That's all, what, that's we what can our all jobs are. Relax all about. and sit back, and ah, everything is going to be ah, fine. But there's a slight problem, isn't there? That Mr. and Mrs. Market yes. got things slightly wrong on value. No, they didn't get it slightly wrong on value. They got a little bit over-exuberant well, because you and I know that, that one thing we know. we've had in our, our very long careers, yeah. <laughs> some might say too long in my case, yes. but, but in our long careers, that the markets don't always sit rationally where they should do. The markets flip from irrational pessimism to irrational exuberance. It's a bit like the windscreen mm. wiper. Irrational pessimism, exuberance. I just switched mm. them around there, by the mm. way. Uh, and so the markets sometimes, and, and the problem is, because of where we are at the moment in valuations, there's not a lot of wiggle room for some of these companies to say, oh, well, it's okay. Things are going to be higher for longer in terms of rates, uh, but that's okay because we're buying this at a 10 times valuation, or we're buying it at a 13 times valuation, or we're buying it at 15 times. The problem is the one in the middle there, which is the greatest benchmark of equities in the United States, mm. is trading at over 20 times, and therein lies the problem. You haven't got valuation wiggle room. The other problem you've got is the texture of this resilience. And let, let's just throw this in, because um, apart from everything you've said about why we should be encouraged by some of the more positive data, because it indicates that recession is still not here. Let me go back to the other point that you like to hammer home a lot, which is about levels of global debt. And I think the other thing that is worrying, not so much the equity markets, but definitely bond market investors, and it may not be specifically those that invest in govies, but those that invest in investment grade or they're further out the quality skew in terms of the bond markets, is that the texture of the resilience of the consumer is shifting. So this is not so much anymore about running down savings that have been accumulated during the COVID crisis. This is about putting the purchasing on your credit card and raising levels of private and public sector debt. Mm -hmm. And I think that's, that's the concern here, because as long as this goes on, as long as we don't have the clear out mechanism of a recession that resets the clock in many ways in credit terms, we will continue to put off a potential recession that could be longer and deeper the more we run up debts. And I think that's to, to the heart of the concerns that a lot of people have. And I don't know whether you looked at the Goldman Sachs 
presentation yesterday. Well, I know that consumer but it, banking seemed but it was like a, a bit of a faux pas. I saw but that it, bit. It, it, it was a fizzle and not a sizzle. Mm. And the reality is that Goldman Sachs has now halted unsecured lending because even the mighty Goldman Sachs has acknowledged that lending to borrowers who may not be um, uh, uh, full quality borrowers who you can expect to get your money back from is starting to raise red flags around what they're doing. And then you throw in some of the other uh, coincidental indicators at the moment. GM talking about laying off another 500 people. The conference board, yes, on the headline did look encouraging Mm -hmm. but beyond that when you dug into the data concerns among consumers about spending on big ticket items over the next six months into recession territory because they obviously worry about their ability to pay back on those items at higher credit costs so at the margin whilst i agree with you that a lot of the data appears to be encouraging and suggests that we may skirt recession in reality digging below the headlines yep. you find there are a lot of things to be worried about i think you make a very good point and i'll just mm. give you one more but and so on. I, I i would diverge with you slightly on one on. thing you said about the the cleansing process of recession yes. there's another cleansing process and that is higher interest rates because it sorts the wheat and the chaff out from business models that are spurious and but, business but models that are sustainable i mean that's connected it's a part it of is, the same it process is. isn't it for we sure ultimately but then get the rolling over yes into recession. No, because a recession is one thing higher interest rates is not necessarily augmenting mm. a recession as we know we're all just trying to work out where yeah. Give me a soft landing. I'll make one more point, and but then I will go. Will I promise? That's the director, huh. rather than someone who's spurious and doesn't exist in my head. Called Will. Uh, in 2022, U.S. non. We had this great debate going on between Buffett and mm. the administration mm. about the, the about the nonsensical nature of buyback taxes or whatever. You know, whatever the, the economically illiterate. But 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 there's another angle to it, and it just goes into what you were just saying about bringing up debt, which is mm. obviously something I spend a lot of time looking at. 2022 saw U.S. non-financial corporate debt hit over $20 trillion, increasing by over $1.7 trillion from 2021 levels. It goes without saying, that is the largest annual increase on record. It's all very well buying back shares, but yes. if you can't afford to service the debt that you're increasing to buy back those shares, yes. that's where the problem comes in. I doubt Mr. Buffett would disagree with that. And ultimately, the, the point that you have to remember is that all of this debt represents buying growth from the future. Yes. So you've effectively taken already, you, you can't experience it twice, you've effectively taken the opportunity of future growth now. Unless that's, and that's what's keeping the engine growth. going. Is and that's the problem with the, on the 3D debate about uh, buybacks rather than are they good or bad, which yeah. is just too binary, which is just nonsense as well, yeah. as everyone knows, the administration and Mr. Buffett on both sides well, of it. How, how is a buyback productive in terms of the use of that capital? No. When you could have put it into plant and machinery, you could have invested in a new business, you could have pursued some corporate restructuring that would have made your business more efficient. But no, you've Flat retired. EPS, you've retired Flat capital EPS. And, and improves the prospects that you will get a bonus. Corporate remuneration. Right. I shall move right. on very briefly. Right. I'm going to do this one quickly because we've got the great Samantha Varas waiting in the wings. Uh, safe to say we have already alluded to the Chinese data. I'll just mention it briefly. Shanghai Composite, seven tenths of one percent better. Look at the Hang Seng, three point six percent higher as well. In fact, I don't need to do too much of that data, do I? Because Jeff's going to do a read in a minute. It just says there, Jeff, Kaishin, PMI. But safe to say the manufacturing data looking pretty good, above expectations. Uh, and also Moody's raising um, the Chinese GDP expectations for 23 and 24 to 5%. Let's have a very quick look at the Hang Seng tech stocks. 
Well, it's surging across the board. For those of you who aren't watching, I should probably, and just listening, shaving or whatever you're doing this morning, doing your coffee, 6.4% uh, higher for Tencent. Uh, Billy Billy up 5.4%. What else have I got for you? Alibaba, 5.5% to the good. So I won't do my ad lib on the factory activity because you've got to read. Chinese factory activity growing at its fastest pace in over a decade, with February's manufacturing PMI jumping to 526 that's up from 50.1 in January, according to the data. It was the highest reading since April 2012, far exceeding analysts' expectations. And as we wait to see whether Sam comes good, um, let's just point out that we had Jeffrey Yu in yesterday, oh, who made great. some very, very good and appropriate comments about the level of savings that he believes so that uh, Chinese consumers have at the, the moment. The point being was they didn't spend in COVID. And there is this vast, I mean, when I say vast, we're talking what, half a trillion, did he say? Yes. Like there's a lot of money waiting, yes. pent up, to get on out there. Yes, absolutely. And, and this is pivotal to this discussion as to whether we are heading into recession, because as is often pointed out, the United States sets the cost of money the Chinese economy determines the global growth rate because that's how important China has become in terms of a source of demand but also as a supplier of low-cost labour to the manufacturing machine in the global economy. But let's get back to Sam who I think is, is good now and rejoins us. Sam, just take us through the data then and tell us what, what you think it implies or what the analysts think it implies for the uh, resilience of a rebound in Chinese domestic demand. Good morning to you, Jeff and Steve. Sorry about the gremlins. Uh, perhaps it was something to do with Steve's introduction there. The great Samantha Vardis, uh, the telecommunication-wise, probably couldn't handle that. But uh, I'll do my best. What we've seen is the factory activity certainly coming in a lot better than the market expected. And that is why we have certainly seen this reaction when it comes to the Chinese stocks, also the Chinese currency today. The markets have been relatively directionless in recent weeks. Of course, we've had a lack of data because the January and the February numbers are usually combined in March to strip out the uh, distortion around the Lunar New Year holiday period. So they've really been relying on things like how many people have been on the subway and traffic congestion for an idea of how the economy has been holding up. So this is giving us something much more concrete. What we've seen is the official manufacturing PMI uh, jumping to its best level in over a decade, as you mentioned. So this looking at the bigger and state-owned firms, so the upstream sectors, what we've seen is companies in things like the business of metal mining, for instance, improving. And that very much speaks to the productivity and the demand story over in China. We then got the private survey that looks at the smaller and private firms over in China. It captures a greater share of those exporters. Businesses uh, in things like furniture and electronics also improved. And so what we saw uh, in that survey, which I found very interesting, was that they did note that that foreign demand picked up. Those export orders actually improved. And perhaps that is a bit of a prelude to the export data we'll be getting uh, in a couple of weeks' time, because what we've seen is that contrasting with more downbeat data across the rest of Asia, which speaks to the demand story for Chinese goods. We've also seen uh, certainly an improvement when it comes to those delivery times and also the employment gauge, which is good news on that front. Guys? Sam, terrific. Um, look, before we go, before we let you go, let, let's ask you about a couple of things that are obviously important for the ongoing disagreements and friction we have between China and the United States. And one is obviously we had this House hearing 
talking about how the U.S. needs to respond to what it sees as the Chinese threat. Your thoughts on that would be welcome. And also, we run into this NPC meeting over the weekend that's looking at restructuring government departments in China. How important is that going to be? Well, I think it's really interesting, Jeff, in terms of the timing, because we have got this annual meeting of parliament happening over in Beijing starting this weekend. So while the U.S. is focused on China, China is very much focused on China. So what we are seeing here are these pictures of this hearing that happened overnight. Uh, our time, of course, and this is largely about trying to raise awareness of some of the concerns that the U.S. has about China and try to explain why Americans should care about competing with Beijing. Now, of course, what we're seeing and what is the notable takeaway from this is a rare show of bipartisan unity. And China is something that they very much agree on. And it's interesting, of course, because Beijing is always very quick to pick up on the divisions when it comes to US politics. So we could be speaking about this for the next two years because, of course, the Republicans controlling the House. And so what we're likely to see is more testimonies around areas like supply chains, things that uh, the US is looking to compete with China on, and also so Taiwan, Xinjiang and Hong Kong, like we heard from some of that today. But then you had, of course, President Xi Jinping signaling that he is looking for an intensified sort of revamp plan of the state and the party. And we're likely to get more sort of um, ideas about what these institutional forms might look like at the annual meeting of parliament this weekend. And this came off the back of a very important communist meeting, uh, or I should say party meeting uh, earlier this uh, this week. It had been happening for a number of days where President Xi Jinping uh, very much uh, spoke about trying to push more domestic policies and the economy uh, towards the party. And what was really interesting was there has been some suggestion now uh, that we could perhaps see some of this coming into the private sector as well. So what one analyst told us this morning over at the China Beige Book is we're sort of seeing a bit of a reversal of what we saw in the 90s with the separation uh, of the economy certainly from the party, it seems to be going in the other direction now. And of course, uh, it does come as President Xi Jinping is going to be securing, or very much likely, of course, uh, that third term as the president. He's already secured his uh, top job as the party chief. And of course, that has been the same person as the president since Jiang Zemin. Uh, so that is something very important to, to watch out for uh, this weekend. Uh, who will be put in some of these top jobs at some of these state institutions, as we're likely to see a fairly big shake-up on that front, guys. Back to you. Ah, oh, excellent. From the wisdom of Sam Bardas, thank you very much indeed, to the wisdom of Solomon. Uh, Goldman CEO David Solomon tells CNBC he's learned from his mistakes after the bank's failed foray into consumer business. Uh, we'll play you that first on CNBC interview when we return. Podcast any good? Yeah, I'm, I'm told it's a classic again. Um, <laughs> Every day more, another classic. For more on the Chinese factory data as well as the latest market action and a long, long conversation all about the state of the markets at the top of the show, go to the Squawk Box podcast for more. Listen to CNBC's Beyond the Valley, the podcast that explores the biggest tech news from across the globe. Join me, Arjun Karpal. And me, Tom Chitty, every week as we bring you insights into the top stories, unpack the latest trends, and find out where the industry is headed. Now available on Spotify, Apple Music, and Google Podcasts.
Welcome back, everybody. Euronext has pulled the plug on its proposed 5.5 billion euro takeover of the fund distribution platform All Funds. This just a week after the exchange operator said it had submitted an indicative bid and had opened talks with All Funds' biggest shareholder in a separate statement. All Funds said it deemed Euronext's offer to be, quote, inadequate. Santander announced a 921 million. I love the way it was 921 million euro buyback. It's very precise, wasn't it? A 921 million euro share buyback, exactly, uh, as part of its new strategic plan and says it plans to return half of profit. I think I read this yesterday, uh, up to 40% over the next three years uh, to shareholders. The Spanish lender is looking to grow its customer base from 160 million to 200 million and re- achieve a ROAT, which is for you and I, a return on tangible equity of 15 to 17 it posted a record 9.6 billion euros in profit in 2022. Well, I'm sure you're aware that uh, our very own Charlotte uh, uh, went off to speak to Honor Botin uh, after this show as the bank held its annual investor day. What did you learn? Good morning to you. Good morning. Well, as you say, it was interesting to catch up because it was the first investor day at Santander since 2019. Um, and so a lot of people were watching the situation. Of course, a new CEO on board as well, Hector Grissi joining uh, Anna Boutin in the management of uh, the bank. And so as you said, the payout ratio uh, upped there. That was very much expected. What was not expected was the, the, the higher profitability target. This was uh, higher than expected there by the market. So that wrote up between 15 and 17 percent. So when I caught up with the executive chair, Anna Boutin, we talked about, well, the numbers that we saw that morning, the, particularly the, the Spanish inflation and talking about how inflation seemed more sticky uh, in Europe than expected. And so I asked her her view on the macro environment in the next few months. If you think about what happened over the last eight years, negative interest rates, then COVID, the war, it's actually a very difficult scenario in which we delivered all our targets. So I think what's important going forward is that uh, some slight inflation is actually not such a bad thing for the financial sector, and it's actually much healthier for the economy. We had negative interest rates, savers were not getting remunerated, we have almost zero margin on, on mortgages until a year ago. and so. You know, this is an environment where if you have the model we have with customer focus in market and global scale, super important, and diversification, we should outperform our peers. The double-digit TNAF and dividend per share should outperform our peers over the next few years. If you can just stick to, to your home market, to, to Spain, because there's been this windfall tax that the Spanish uh, government uh, put in place. Of course, this is an election year. So um, you've made the first payment for this windfall tax. Are you going to challenge it? And also we heard just a couple of days ago, the deputy prime minister talking about the calling for a freeze of payments on mortgages. So a lot of noise on that side. So what is your conversation like with the Spanish government? And are you going to challenge this windfall tax? So. Uh, our conversation with uh, government is we are a responsible bank. So last year we made a third of our profits in, the Amer- in, in North America, a third in South America, a third in Europe. We paid a third of our profit before uh, tax, in tax, a third. A third went to shareholders and a third went to new lending. So if taxes have to go up, we accept that and we will contribute. We paid more than five billion in taxes last year. But what we say is everybody should contribute in equal ways. That is our thinking and that's what's fair. So are you going to challenge it then? We always have the obligation and responsibility to look at, you know, uh, if if we have a case, and I believe we have started a process, 
not just the Santander, but the Spanish Banking Association. Okay. If we can look at an other of your markets, of course, the UK, one of your key activities here is mortgages. Uh, we've seen mortgages at two and a half year low here, of course, the cost of living crisis are impacting uh, consumers um, with higher rates. And we also savers asking for higher rates on their savings. So uh, there's a view that maybe the windfall from higher rates for banks here uh, has peaked already. So what's your view on, on particularly on the UK? Well, I somehow don't believe the word windfall is appropriate. When you're talking about margins in Europe that are between one and a half and two percent margin, that's before cost and before cost of risk. So we're normalizing interest rates. It's not healthy to have interest rates negative because that creates huge misallocation of capital. But by the way, you've been saving all your life. You, we're not rewarding you for that. And it's important to remember that in Europe, with some exceptions like Germany, Switzerland, we did not charge for retail deposits, even though we're being charged by the ECB. And we're giving out mortgages, you know, almost at zero. And so, you know, this is a normalization of interest rates. And that was Anna Botin speaking to me yesterday in London during the Investor Day of uh, Santander. And it was very interesting also to hear her. She was kind of really making the case for the global footprint of the bank, something that some analysts have been kind of a bit more critical about or keeping an eye on this very big global footprint of the bank. Well, we've seen other big major banks selling some of their uh, different assets. The latest one, for example, BNP Paribas selling Bankwest. But here, really, Anna Botin and the management of Santander are really talking about how this is the diversification of the bank that is their strength how they see going forward uh, revenue coming from Europe will help them increase their loan growth in Brazil and in Mexico. So a very interesting conversation and we'll bring you more of this uh, later in the show. Yeah, it's a fascinating strategy, isn't it? And it has paid off over the years. Um, thank you, Charlotte, for that. Well, Goldman Sachs says asset management and wealth management will be the new growth engines for the bank after its efforts in consumer finance went awry. Speaking at its Investor Day, Goldman CEO David Solomon said the bank was weighing, quote, strategic alternatives for its consumer platforms. He acknowledged that the company didn't, quote, execute well on parts of his consumer push, but insisted that management would reflect and learn from the episode. Speaking to CNBC, Solomon explained where the bank went wrong. I think we tried to do too much too quickly, and as a result, our execution in some areas of this right. wasn't good. And so what do you do? You correct that. And so, you know, that's, that's what businesses do. There isn't, there isn't a business that, that kind of goes through and doesn't have successes, but also some stumbles. Well, Solomon also touched on inflation and his thoughts on the Fed's efforts to bring it down. The general consensus is inflation is going to be stickier. When I talk to see stickier and harder to move, you know, from where it is now, you know, down to 3%, let's say, let alone 2%. Right. And in the context of that, you know, higher rates, longer, sluggish growth, stickier, but a better chance that we can muddle through with a softer landing. And so I think there's a little more optimism because people's businesses have been performing better. The consumer has been right. more resilient. Um, service businesses in particular have been doing very well. So I, you know, I think we're in a place where there's a little bit more optimism about muddling through, but I think inflation is going to be sticky and hard. And you know, I think anyone running a business has to be prepared for kind of a bumpy 12 to 18 to right. 24 months. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Cho. Weekdays on CNBC.